Moment to Contemplate, a podcast ministry of Pastor David Robinson and brought to you by Axe Church in Vancouver, Washington. Today we're beginning a look at the story of the lame man who was healed by the gate beautiful. It's another reminder that there really is power in the name of Jesus. Please turn in your Bible to Acts chapter 3, and here's Pastor David. Let's uh, get into the passage for today. We're in chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 1 and go through verse 10. If you have your Bible, you can read along, or it'll be up here on the screen. It says, Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who enter the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Um, Before we get into, you know, digging into this kind of one verse at a time, I want you to notice again something about this miracle. You know, we've talked a lot about how Luke you know, tells stories and he tells them very specifically. And he's, and part of what he's doing is he's giving evidence for what was going on, right? Evidence for the resurrection of Christ. Evidence for what happened in the early church. And here's another place where we see evidence. We see this, this miracle that happens publicly and that when this book was written, and we're thinking somewhere 60 to 62 AD is when this book was written, okay? So within a, a few decades, plenty of these people would have been alive still. They could have checked on this story. This is just another one of those places. I'll point them out as we go through almost every story that Luke tells. He's very, very specific, and he gives you information that's verifiable that you can go find out is true, or that could be shown to be untrue, right? There either was this guy. He either was there. He either was at the gate all the time. He either did get healed and everybody saw it, or he didn't. You just go ask, did this happen around this time in Jerusalem? And you'd find out. So once again, we have Luke pointing things out in a very historical way, in a very interesting way where these things can be checked to see their truth or whether they're false. Okay, so let's get into it. So we have Peter and John. Peter and John, um, Peter was a disciple of Jesus, one of the 12 um, original disciples. Peter was a fisherman, kind of a rough and tumble guy. Fishermen back then were like fishermen now, kind of man's men. I don't know if any of you fish. Um, but that's really not the kind of fisherman uh, he was. He was a commercial fisherman. He fished for a living. And these guys, it was serious business. The Sea of Galilee could get very, very rough. Um, these storms could come up kind of in an instant. And these boats that these guys were in could capsize. If you read through the Gospels, you'll see uh, a circumstance where Jesus is out on the water with these guys, and they are really afraid of the storm. That's what could happen. These storms were, were violent. These guys were risk takers. These fishermen, tough guys. So, so Peter's one of these guys, and he's a fisherman, and Jesus takes him. His original name was Simon, changes his name to Peter, which means rock. And uh, Peter was kind of part of the inner circle of the disciples. So there were 12 disciples, but there were three that spent a lot of time with Jesus kind of in his inner circle. That was Peter, 
And then James and John, the brothers, okay? And, and Peter, because he was in the inner circle, got to see some things that the other disciples never got to see. Like, they got to see Jesus raise this little girl from the dead. He got to see the transfiguration, which is where Jesus is basically glorified in front of them. And Moses and Elijah are there with him. It's pretty crazy stuff that he got to see some pretty amazing things. He got to see because he was part of that inner circle with Jesus. He was, he was a great man of faith. He was the guy who, when they see Jesus walking on the water, he's the guy who says, hey, can I come out of the boat and walk on the water with you? Which is a pretty bold thing to say because I don't know if you've ever tried, but water doesn't work for walking on. So he had to have some pretty amazing faith to step out of that boat and onto the water and believe that he wasn't going to sink. Not only lasted for so long, he did get afraid and start to sink eventually, but he did walk on the water and he did have faith to do that. So he's this man of faith, also a man who was known for putting his foot in his mouth. He would say some really dumb things. Um, but at the same time, he was a disciple who clearly loved Jesus, just loved Jesus. If you read the Gospels, it becomes very clear that Peter loves Jesus. Peter's, in fact, the first disciple to say to Jesus, to, to proclaim that Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah. Okay, so he's a, he's a pretty serious guy. And so John, the other guy who we see here, uh, also one of the original disciples, also a fisherman originally, the brother of James, John, James, Peter. These guys were kind of the inner circle. So that's who John was. Um, John is called the disciple that Jesus loved. Um, now you can take that for what it's worth because John's the one who wrote that um, in the book of John. So... Um, <laughs> I don't know, right? As they called himself the disciple of Jesus. If I was writing the book about it, you'd be like, oh yeah, Jesus really loved me. Um, but anyway, he was called the disciple that Jesus loved. He wrote the gospel of John. He wrote first, second, and third John. And he wrote the book of Revelation. So he wrote a lot of the Bible. History tells us uh, that John was one of the only of these early apostles that was not martyred, that was not killed for his faith. He actually lived and died of old age. Although at one point, it is recorded in history that John was, uh, they tried to boil him in oil. Um, and so, yeah, the deep fried John. Um, it didn't work. He didn't die. Uh, and it's questionable whether they never ended up putting him in it or whether they put him in it and it didn't kill him or, um, or maybe it didn't even hurt him. It depends on what, what you read as far as church history. We're not perfect on that. Um, but we do know that he lived to an old age. In fact, wrote Revelation at quite an old age as God revealed to him the things that are in that book. So that's John, and that's Peter. And what we see in Acts is one of the kind of divisions that we see is the early chapters of Acts are about uh, the apostles that were disciples of Jesus, primarily Peter. We see kind of that first half of Acts almost is primarily about Peter and these early apostles. And the second half, half of Acts is primarily about Paul the Apostle Paul. And so we're in that portion of Acts where we're primarily hearing about Peter, okay? And let's start with verse 1, which is a good place I found to start, um, chapter 3, and it says this, Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. All right, something important to, to notice here as we start this story. We don't know how much time has passed since verse 41 of chapter 2, where it says 3,000 people came and got saved and baptized on Pentecost. That event happened. We've studied that. And then the last couple messages that I've given on Acts were actually about the verses between verse 41 and the end of the chapter, where Luke is talking generally 
about what the early church was like. He gives this general description about the signs and wonders that are happening, right? And the Holy Spirit's with these people and the things that are happening. But that's a general description, okay? Now we're getting into a specific story that would be kind of under this general description of what was going on in the church, but we don't know. Uh, Luke does not tell us, the other does not tell us how much time passed from Pentecost to this story. We don't know. It could have been a couple years. We really don't know. But at some point after Pentecost, this story happens, right? And it says that they went at the ninth hour, okay? The ninth hour. As we keep time, the ninth hour is 3 p.m. Now, I don't know why they didn't use American time back then. Um, they obviously, you know, didn't know what they were doing. But they, they called the ninth hour. We called 3, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And there's a reason why they go at that time. Um, there were two times during the day, each day, when they would do a sacrifice, okay, at the temple. One in the morning, one at the ninth hour, 3 p.m. Josephus, the Jewish historian, tells us this. Okay, that's when they did it. And these sacrifices, uh, are we find them in Numbers, chapter 28, verses 1 through 8. And I'm just going to read this to you. It says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the children of Israel and say to them, my offering, my food for my offerings, made by fire is a sweet aroma to me. You shall be careful to offer to me at their appointed time. And you shall say to them, this is the offering made by fire, which you shall offer to the Lord. Two male lambs in their first year without blemish, day by day as a regular burnt offering. The one lamb you shall offer in the morning, the other lamb you shall offer in the evening. And one-tenth of an ephah of fine flour as a grain offering mixed with one-fourth of a hen of pressed oil. It is a regular burnt offering which was ordained at Mount Sinai for a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord, and its drink offering shall be one-fourth of a hen for each lamb. In a holy place you shall pour out the drink to the Lord as an offering. The other lamb you shall offer in the evening as the morning grain offering and its drink offering, you shall offer it as an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. Now, why did I read all that to you? I read all that to you so you understand this portion of what was going on in the temple, in the daily sacrifice. It's called the tamid. Okay, the tamid. And that, this, what you just, what I just read you is a description of the tamid. This is what they would do. Okay, they would follow the system. And this is where the disciples, when, as, as John and as Peter are walking in the temple, that's what they're going for. They're going for this Tamid service. And here's what the Tamid service looked like. The priest would burn incense first. Then they would sacrifice the lamb. Then there would be a grain offering, which was basically unleavened bread made with flour and oil. Okay, And then there was a drink offering of wine that was poured out. And then after that was done, they did singing and prayer. Okay, it's a little bit different than what church looks like for us. I gave up on the killing the lamb stuff a little while ago. It was making a mess uh, up here, and people were weirded out by it, so I stopped. No, the fact is it's different, but there's a reason why they did it. You might notice this unblemished lamb and the bread and the wine have some, you know, we kind of figure out what's going on there, right? So, so that's a prefiguring of what we see with Christ. Right, And so there's a reason why these Christians, at this time, by the way, all Christians were Jews. There were no non-Jew Christians. Everybody that was a Christian at this moment was a Jew. And so these Jewish Christians, they did not stop observing the Jewish customs. They continued to observe them. And you might say, well, now hang on a second. Jesus has already been the sacrifice. There's no need for a lamb to be sacrificed. Wouldn't it be strange for a Christian to continue to celebrate the sacrifice? But where for the Jews, it prefigured 
the sacrifice of Messiah. For the Christian, it was a reminder of the sacrifice of the Messiah, right? So it's not like it doesn't make any sense at all. That's what these guys were there for. So it also says that, uh, let's go to verse 2. Let's go to verse 2. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple. Okay. This was apparently very common, to bring the sick people and bring them to the gate of the temple. These people who were disabled, these people who were ill, they'd bring them there and they'd beg for alms, right? Um, and it, it makes sense to me because if you're going to try to get some money, you know, there's guys, you see the guys or the girls on the side of the um, freeway on ramp or whatever, you see them from time to time. But if you really want some money, Go to the really fancy church and sit outside because the people who walk by have to go by and look at everybody else who's looking at them to see whether they're going to give them some money or not and judge them. And so it's a good way to uh, make somebody feel guilty and give you some money, right? So to some extent, that may have been what's going on, right? These Pharisees and so on who were known to do things uh, to make a big name for themselves. Maybe from time to time they'd come by and give a big gift so that everybody could see them doing it and see that it looked good. Right, But the other thing about being in a position to have to beg, you also want to be in a place where there's a lot of people. Right, The more people, the more money. So they put these guys there in front of the temple. This would have been a normal thing for them to do. And, and honestly, it was considered um, these kinds of acts of charity to the disabled happening at the temple were considered a very good thing for you to do it and to do it there at the temple. It's just kind of the culture that was going on. It says he was lame from his mother's womb. So this was not a war injury. This was not a he fell down, you know, and hurt himself type injury. This was an injury. This was not an injury at all. He was born lame. He was always lame. This guy had never walked before. It says he was carried there. So he was so disabled that it wasn't even like he was using crutches or something like that. They actually had to carry this guy and set him there. That's how disabled this guy was. Now it says that he was at the beautiful gate. And we don't know precisely which gate was the beautiful gate. What we do know is one of a couple different gates. And these gates were very beautiful. They were incredibly ornate. They would have been covered with either silver or gold or what's called Corinthian bronze. And Corinthian bronze was actually more valuable at that time than silver or gold. And they would have been incredibly ornate, beautiful gates. Uh, Josephus tells us uh, that these gates were 45 feet high. That's over four stories high, just the gate, okay, just the door. Um, and they were about 22 and a half feet wide, all right? And inside, as you went inside, there would have been kind of like a, a gate room on each side that was about 45 feet square and about 60 feet high. So this was huge. I want to give you an idea of this temple. This is a huge place with huge, very, very costly, very, very ornate gates, so that's where this guy's input, that's where they're going. This very big gate that many people are walking into at this ninth hour to go see this sacrifice. That's where we're sitting. And so as they're going in, we see this, verse 3. Who seen Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. Okay, that's what he's there for, right? Give me some alms. Alms is just money. He's, just, he's wanting some money. He needs some money to eat. He needs some money to live. He's asking for alms. So everybody who's walking by is getting asked by this guy. We look at verse 4. It says, And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, Look at us. Give me your attention. Look right at me. Right? That's what Peter's saying. Because this guy, of course, he asked them for alms, but as everyone else is coming, he's just going to the next guy and the next guy. And they, you know, you've seen these guys in Portland, spare change guys, spangers. And they come up to you, spare change, spare change, spare change. Once you're not going to do it, they're just going to the next guy. Right? They're just, so that's what this guy's doing. Peter wants to stop him from doing that and get his attention. He says, Look at me. 
Um, and, and we see in the next verse, in verse 5, it says, So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Right? So one thing that you know is that if someone is, is begging, if somebody is, is looking for a handout, um, you may have seen, like I said, on the side of the road or downtown or, or, or somewhere else, and, and sometimes you might give them something, sometimes you might not. But the one thing I guarantee you is when you're not going to give them something, the one thing you do not do is look at them. Right? You do not make eye contact. We know this, because if you make eye contact, just like this guy, they're going to expect to receive something from you. Right? So you're in the car, and you come up, and there's a guy, I mean, he's standing, like, right next to your window. Right? Not when you're, like, four cars back, but when you're the first car. So you're right next to him, you're like, what's on the radio? You know, pretending like you're doing whatever. You don't want to look at him, because if you look at him, he's going to be, like, have an expectation, right? That's what this guy's doing. I realize that whenever I preach on tithing or something, nobody wants to look at me. Um, it may have something to do with it. Um, might expect to receive something. So, um, you know, like when you're in school, right? When the teacher asks a question, you don't want to be called on, you don't look at the teacher. That's just the way it goes. Avoid eye contact. But this guy, Peter says, look at him. So the obvious thing he's thinking is Peter's going to hook me up with some money. Well, let's look at what Peter does. Next verse, verse 6. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Okay, so you've got to um, take this out of kind of flannelgram Bible story time where everything's kind of fantastic and, and think about this as Peter just being a regular person like you or me. This is a big act of faith. He's in a very public place and he's calling out to this man who is lame, who's been lame since birth, and saying, you're healed basically in front of all these people. Okay, that's a big, it's a big risk. It's a big risk. He, he would have had to have felt the Holy Spirit calling him to say this. And instead of walking by, which I might have done, he looks at him and says, boom, you're healed in the name of Jesus Christ. Um, pretty big, big thing for him to do. But I want you to notice a couple things about, about this part, this verse here. First, Peter doesn't have any money. Doesn't have any money. Now, um, there are those who preach uh, about money. And they suggest that those who are faithful and have faith and are followers of Christ will have lots of money. Some people call it the prosperity gospel. Um, let me just tell you that this, among every other verse in the Bible, um, is one that shows that that's not true. Okay, It's not true. I'm not trying to um, dog on or cause divisions between Christians, but I will call out a false doctrine when I see one. That's a false doctrine. If anyone was going to be wealthy because they were followers of Christ, I think it would have been Peter and John, right? Peter and John were incredibly faith. Look at the faith that it takes for him to do this. But he didn't have money. He had faith. He definitely had faith, but he didn't have money, okay? So the idea that being a Christian equals money is false. If you came here today hoping that was what I was going to tell you, I'm sorry, you're not going to be rich just because you're a Christian. If you work really hard, and the Lord blesses you, you might be rich. But it won't be because you're a Christian, okay? So uh, wealth is not from that. Clearly, although he has faith, he's broke. He's got no money. Um, but he does do something that's pretty incredible, walking by this guy, feeling a call from the Holy Spirit and saying, get up. That's something that would be very hard for, I think, most of us to do. And if you could do it, it would show a lot of faith, okay? Um, it's, it's not that you have to have money. It's not that you have to have money to do something good for somebody. You don't have to have money. You have one other thing. You have something that Peter had, 
and every follower of Christ since him has had. You have the power of the Holy Spirit and the power in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. You have that, just like Peter had it. There's no difference between you and Peter in terms of your ability to walk in and act in the power of the name of Jesus and have the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Now, it may not mean that you're going to see people healed like this all the time, okay? Um, I hope you do get to see something like that, but, but who knows, right? You may not get to see something quite as amazing as this particular healing, but you can see the power of the Holy Spirit, and you can see the power in the name of Jesus Christ work, and sometimes it's just by listening to somebody. Sometimes it's by praying for somebody. Sometimes it's babysitting somebody's kids. Just coming by and just laying hands on somebody, showing them that you love them, and just saying a prayer that they'd be healed of whatever it is that they have or that their heart would be healed or they're going through something difficult emotionally. Sometimes that's what God's trying to do through his power. Sometimes it's just a text message or an email. Hey, I'm thinking about you. How are you doing? And the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of Christ can be there in those moments when you don't even know what they might do for that other person. You do not have to have money to make a difference. It's true. We really don't need any money at all to make a difference in someone's life. All we need to be is available and listening when God opens the door to share His love with someone else. Now remember that this podcast is brought to you by Axe Church in Vancouver, Washington, and I want to invite you to join us here on Sunday morning to hear Pastor David in person. Get easy directions and all the info you need at axechurchnorthwest.org or call 360-885-9000. Well, that's it for today. Hope you'll check out the next episode for more about this amazing miracle here on Contemplate.